with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Facebook, uh, or Instagram to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 3104410555. So uh, to start off the show today, um, there was some news that people were talking, well, there's always news people are talking about, but something more uh, related to relationships. Uh, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates announced that they were getting a divorce. And so I wanted to give you all the hot scoop and details and gossip about what's going on and what's going to happen next. Uh, I hope you can already tell that I'm joking. That's not what I tend to talk about on this show. Uh, if you were hoping for that, you're probably listening to the wrong broadcast and you've been listening to me wrong as well um, and so actually I wanted to talk about this issue of how people talk about other people's relationships because of course being that Bill Gates it, um, has been one of the most wealthy people in the world for a long time uh, and then also that he has been so involved in lots of conspiracies and different thoughts about things that he's doing people were very interested in this and in, and in general people get very interested in the lives of other people partially there's a human tendency to this we need to be or needed to be especially uh, involved and engaged with what's going on you know obviously gossip we think of it as this bad thing and it definitely is but there was a uh, if you want to call it need or benefit in knowing about the surroundings, the relationships, reputations, uh, who likes and doesn't like whom and what has this person done to that person has social value. Even some have argued that this could be one of the reasons for language or one of the benefits of language was that we wanted to be able to communicate about people and each other and what's going on. And so we needed the language to be able to express more. Now, again, when we look at evolutionary things to say this is why something came about usually is a complicated conversation. And even the way we pose the questions can be uh, misleading. But however, we know there is um, really significance in this. So we are also living in a world that's different from our uh, brain's adaptation, our brain adapted to a world where there wasn't the technology that we have now and being connected to so many people in the lives of so many people. And you could watch TV and learn about other people's lives and get invested in their relationships and watch a show like The Bachelor and see who's you know dating and getting to know each other and then someone proposing to someone. Um, these are all things that we weren't adapted to, but now they're in our environment and so they affect us in ways that we have to be aware of that it might feel a certain way but it's because it's pulling on some old evolutionary types of 
um, psychology or mindsets that we might have. So people react to these types of um, announcements, divorces, marriages, when things are announced as if it's very much involving them. And what's interesting is really what it's bringing up. It's nothing about the couple because we don't know much about them, just some things on the surface. It's bringing up things about us that we, we should think about. Why am I, what am I feeling and why? People are, oh, see money. And that might bring up some things, whether it's, it's because of money they're getting a divorce or it's because of money they got married to begin with or whatever it is the things that you're thinking about. It's going to tell you less about Bill and Melinda Gates and more about you and who you are and how you value certain things. So just something to be aware of when you have these reactions. You go, oh, see this or, oh, they did that. Or I bet you this is why, you know, and those kinds of things I think are funny when someone says, I bet you this is why they're getting a divorce when they don't know anything. All you're sharing is your own feeling and thoughts and things. So I'm not saying uh, now it might make you think twice, which could be good and bad. But I, I want you to at least think about it for yourself of what what is going on Um, so one of the things I did want to talk about is how people judge other people's relationships so they'll say oh you know he's so lucky to be with her or him or she's so lucky to be with her or him Um, when they hear about a relationship oh look how look at that or relationship goals something I've talked about before or people post a picture where they look cute or they're doing something cute or in a nice romantic place and we say relationship goals but a relationship cannot be measured or displayed or shown the value of the relationship in a picture or a short video and so we as much as we might think oh that looks cute or looks nice um, it's I think important to resist that urge to judge the relationship and I see this happening in all communities in the Iranian community happens a lot too but people saying they're lucky to be with that person or they're you know you know that person's better than that person in the relationship or whatever it might be and then also make judgments about oh they're getting they're breaking up or they're getting divorced well is he stupid is she stupid uh why would you do that this person's so good and we have to be aware that we don't know what it's like to be in a relationship with that person or what their relationship was like And so on the outside, you might see something, but that tells you nothing about what it's like on the inside in the relationship and what they experience every day. And we have to take back our judgments and recognize we don't know. So I I see this even in people I work with individually or couples, and they're very mindful of how people are going to judge their breakup. Well, you know, people are going to say I'm stupid because he's a doctor and makes lots of money and has lots of respect in the community. So everyone's going to say I was dumb for leaving this relationship. And even that judgment can, of course, trickle down to the person themselves that maybe I'm being dumb. And I've worked with families or talked to people in relationships where the person is treating them horribly, really, really bad. And it's such a toxic relationship. But to the outside, it looks good. They show up to parties and look cute and uh, both people are charming and it comes off a certain way that people are like well they're happy why would they break up the truth is you don't know and so just know that you don't know and so when you hear that a couple's breaking up i get it even i was uh um, i don't know if it was surprised but i did uh, notice the news it was something i paid attention to that when i heard it i saw oh, wow that's interesting and then i read their statement um but I also knew I don't I don't know what's going on. And no, so people are looking at their statement and we can try to analyze something. Well, you know, they're saying uh, we believe we can know we can grow 
we no longer believe we can grow together as a couple in the next phase of our lives. That sounds very, um, you know, good. But to me, it sounds very much like obviously a PR type of a statement too. Not to say that it's not true. That could be the exact reason, but I just wouldn't put too much weight into it. They have to say something like that, no matter what's going on. If, um, you know, if one of them is being a horrible partner, they wouldn't release that in a statement. Bill has been a jerk for the last eight years, or Melinda's been, you know, uh, treating Bill like crap for the last six years. That's that's not going to be released in a statement, even if that's the reality. I'm not saying it is, I don't know, but I wouldn't take too much weight into a statement like this. It's a very generic, you know, good sounding, we can't grow together, so it's kind of saying nothing is really that wrong or bad, but we're deciding that this relationship, you know, isn't going to help us grow, you know, so it's like, is it, um, they would grow better in individually, would they grow better uh, with someone else? We don't know exactly what they're trying to um, I- imply there or say, but I wouldn't, again, take too much value into, let's read into it, because it makes sense, they, they don't need to tell us why, you know, they gave a, a reason, I think they make it generic, because that makes sense, they don't need to tell us why they are getting a divorce they're putting that i think because they know people will ask why and so they're saying here we're going to tell you why without telling us anything and i think that's fine that's their decision to make but i think to to look into it too much you're probably going to just uh look into something that's like a lack of information you know so it's like someone um sends you a text and they put a lot of they didn't realize they sent you a text and they didn't pay attention to what they wrote. And then now you're trying to decipher what do they feel about me based on this text? And like, oh, sorry, I, I sat on my phone and pressed send, you know, so it's almost to me that level of trying to look into it. Uh, but I do think when people look at this situation and say it was smart or it was stupid or whatever other things, I think people also get intrigued or excited because of the amount of money that's involved and how much and how is it going to get split up. And people, you know, they talk about these things, which is funny to me when they say, for example, oh, let's say she wanted the money or Jeff Bezos, same kind of thing. You know, they weren't living poor lives when they were married to the person. So, I mean, to me, that that doesn't really make too much sense. But anyway, people get very intrigued or excited to learn about these kinds of details and to me the curiosity of the details is understandable being social beings we like to know things we think it's interesting we want to learn from it maybe in some way but the asking or wanting to find out we should think of how much is that benefiting us and i do think the more we focus on other people's lives or looking at celebrity gossip and news Again, it's in- interesting. We might enjoy it for a little bit, but getting too engaged, it is only going to hurt you and not help you and get you focused on things that are not really important and feel like it's interesting, but it doesn't get you very far. But coming back to this notion of judging people's relationships and then feeling that way ourselves, a good relationship is something that feels good to the people internally. That's the only thing that matters. How people are going to look at it or judge it is not important. And so when we're looking at other people's relationships, we should think that if Bill and Melinda or any other couple were not happy for whatever their reason was, they have that choice to not be in that relationship. And I probably will never know the reasons why. And similarly, I hope you would have that same mindset when you're getting into a relationship and then also when you're evaluating what to do in the relationship. Of course, when you meet someone, there are some things on paper that it's good to feel you're a match because the more matched you are, the better it is. So it's not saying don't care about those things. 
so we look at those things, but that's the start. On paper, it just that's the starting point. But then how we feel with the person, how they treat you, how they um, bring out the best or the worst in you, and all these more important factors, that how, that's how we should assess the relationship, not how is it going to look. And actually, I think social media has unfortunately had a negative impact on this because people do think about how are we going to look on Instagram and when we post pictures or videos of us, oh, we're going to look so cute or we're going to look so good or people are going to be like, look at him or look at her and the person they got and that's going to make me look good. This already existed, but social media just exaggerates that and amplifies that rather than just the people in your small surroundings that would see you and get to judge you based on who you're with. Now we might think of the potential millions and billions of people in the digital social network that we have that can judge us and maybe look at us in a better way. And so people uh, might be focused on that. But what a relationship is, the value of it is how you're going to feel and you do feel in the relationship. So pay attention to that. And also with families, the same thing. Uh, in most families, they care, but Iranian families were very, very status focused. Who is the person you're marrying? Who's their family? What's that person's job? What kind of money they have? What kind of reputation they have? And all these things. And I've seen countless times where parents don't even care how the person is treating their son or daughter, but just because they're good on paper and it's going to look good. No, no, just marry them. It doesn't matter if they're being mean to you or treating you bad. Oh, you'll figure it out. Or, you know, in marriage, you know, things will change once you're married. He won't do that anymore or she won't do that anymore. And they're just so focused on the status and the way it looks on paper and the way it's going to make them look that they honestly at times won't even care if their child is suffering in this marriage and I think that's really really bad and horrible and something that we should be looking at the most important thing is that someone treats your whoever it is yourself or whoever is in the relationship with respect and with care and with love and wants the best for them wants to uh take their feelings into account wants to help them reach their goals and the things they said about grow together again it could have just been a generic statement but they use that because that is something valuable are you being with someone that's helping you grow as a person bringing out the best of you rather than the worst um, there's something called the michelangelo effect so michelangelo when he was sculpting or uh, he famously said something like when it came to sculpting the david his famous statue of david um, it wasn't that he had to create the sculpture. He saw it in the, the block of marble that he had. He had to just remove all the parts around it to leave what he saw or what you know he was trying to create. And so the Michelangelo effect in relationships is being with someone that helps us get rid of the not so good, but also helps us grow as a person to become that ideal self or towards that ideal self. We'll never be perfect, but get to our ideals, our goals, uh, living a meaningful and purposeful life. So yes, we're going to hear the news and be curious and wonder, but you're not going to know. Even if you try to read articles, you might hear something and people are so thirsty to get something. Oh, you know, Melinda's friend said this or Bill's friend said that, or there's a report of this report of that. Because we, we're social animals, we want to know these types of things. But I think it's important to be aware that you're probably going to waste your time. You're not going to get clear answers even if you hear one story it doesn't mean you're going to know the full picture we're very quick to judge and our judgments reflect less about the thing that we're judging and more about us so if someone comes tells me i know why bill and melinda gates got divorced 
all I'm going to know is they're going to tell me nothing about their relationship, but I'm going to get to hear some things about them that they're going to say through this couple. Oh, you know, it was money ruins everything. Oh, you can never trust to this or trust to that. All they're telling you is about them, not about the people that they are judging. So the curiosity, understandable, what we do with that curiosity, like what we do with any feeling, that's the part we want to think about and be a little bit more intentional about. And lastly, again, want to reiterate that point of how we judge relationships. You never know what it's like for two people who are in a relationship you never know what it's like to be with someone so if you think someone is so lucky to be with so-and-so that's what it's like on the surface you think it's lucky you'd want to be with that person or you think that's a good person to be with what it's actually like to be in a relationship with them you don't know and you shouldn't judge that because you don't have the information to make that judgment all right let's go to a commercial break studio number 310-441-0555 we'll be right back Studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. I don't know if the microphone's open. Does it open? Hello, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Can you hear me? Now I can. Yes. Okay. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. So my question about uh, my life and focus in life. Mm-hmm. Um, at, since the beginning of the pandemic, I've been working from home, remote working. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm realizing in some days I don't do much. I just procrastinate, do other things. I have my regular like corporate work job, and I have a side hustle. And in both of those things, I realized that in not, not every day, but in some days, I, I, I just do maybe one-tenth of what I could have done with my time. The rest of the time, I just, my mind wanders. I, you know, I go on my phone. I do side things that, you know, that doesn't, it's inconsequential to my end goals. And um, some days, you know, like I have, I write the tasks that I need to finish. Uh, maybe I get, you know, one item or you know, one tenth of everything that I need to and I need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, a part of it, I think, it's it has to do with the fact that, and, and I, I, my question to you, if this is normal or a part of it, I think is, I. I don't know if I'm normal. I get my my fuel, the fuel of my life by interacting with other people. Mm -hmm. So like when I have a Zoom meeting, even though it's a Zoom meeting, it's like 10 minutes or half an hour. Afterwards, I feel charged. I feel like I have the gas that makes me go. Um, But I'm not, uh, when I don't have those human interactions, I feel kind of, I don't, feel I feel like I mean physically I'm good but mentally I feel like I don't have the inspiration and enthusiasm to kind of make me go and be more yeah. ambitious so you know does the sense? yeah it does I mean of course uh, it'll make it'll be there'll be more to make sense of in asking you what else is going on um, as far as if it's normal for everyone you know working from home was a big 
adjustments. Some people thrived more than others. So, you know, like anything, there are some typical things that happen, but people respond differently. Uh, you're, it seems like you're saying that being around others or interacting with others gives you energy. Also, exactly. which it could be part of, you know, when we talk about introversion versus extroversion, people that are more extroverted get more of a uh, energy from other people. Introverts sometimes actually get drained of energy, but so it could be partially that Another part of being around people is if you're in the office, but also in Zoom, it could bring up this sense of being more accountable, like you're being seen. Whereas when you're home alone and no one's there and you're not like, you know, seeing anybody, um, mm -hmm. it's easier for us to uh, lose that accountability to others. So if you're, you know, if we put a camera on you tomorrow, that's going to be broadcast live streamed online, I'm sure you'll be, you'll have your most productive day in a long time because exactly. you know everyone's watching you right so and so we there's could nothing unusual about me there's, there's well i don't uh, know i mean i don't I'm, i rarely will tell you there's something unusual there might be some things we can look at specific about you that might make this even harder and then because of that things you can try to do to counteract that to help you be more productive uh, but you know a lot of people felt this dip in productivity or i work with people that are working and also students in high school and college and there's this strange feeling of you're in your room and it's where you go to school and it's also where you do your work, but it's also where you do everything else. And so sometimes having uh, separate spaces can be important. Scheduling your time as if you're on a, a schedule w can be good, you know, to help it so you're more productive. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's some things we can try to do, but it is important right. to look at your individual psychology personality and what's right. led you to get to this point and yeah. also uh, other factors and i'll ask you about them your work and how you feel about your work and this side hustle and other things those can have an impact too so if you right. don't like your job very much or don't feel passionate about it well then even more these things of not being accountable and being working from exactly. home will affect uh, you I, yeah. I, I wanted to quickly ask you in the parentheses I sure. how related i think it's related so i i am i'm pretty much i am an extrovert but mm -hmm. My question is, being an extrovert, you get your energy from meeting people, from from interacting with people. I think in my specific case, I get even more energy if I'm interacting with people I haven't met before. Like new people kind of energize me more. Okay. Is that usual or is that a, like a personality flaw or something is wrong with you? <laughs> You've read that up a few times if something's wrong with you, which, uh, you know, I, I get that. And it's just maybe you could be different in some way, but it's important to look at that. M meeting new people, there's obviously an excitement there and hope maybe it means you're comfortable meeting new people. Some people are more nervous thrive. when they're meeting someone new they'd rather spend time and that also could be more one of uh, related to introversion just more comfortable with people you already know rather than new people however realistically i mean there are some types of jobs where you might constantly meet new people every day but a lot of the work we're going to do you're you're interacting with uh you know coworkers or similar clients repeatedly this is kind of cool me and you are meeting for the first time right now so maybe that's something new in that way yeah, but yeah, generally <laughs> generally speaking you are going to be you know working with repeat people and that also could bring up this um notion of how do you feel like you do with relationships because yes meeting new people can be exciting but is there something about getting closer to people that also uh, you don't like as much. So meeting new people keeps it also more surface rather than going deeper. Yeah, I, I do well with relationships. Okay. Um, just another thing that kind of adds on top of what I said, 
um, my I, I was living with my son and uh, and a partner slash companion, and um, it just happened that right around the time of the pandemic, my son got to an age that you know he moved out, you know, for college and so on, and my partner, um, although we have some degree of partnership right now, but she kind of. Um, moved out to buy her own house and you know kind of live more independently so i lost that part too and i think that may have something to do with um, the overall picture of that me not having enough enthusiasm or be enough energized enough yeah well to do things if you're talking about you know just in general not just because we're you know i don't want to emphasize everything on the extra version but if you're you know your son not being there then a partner being there and then the pandemic you did go from being around people and interacting and connecting with people probably way more than in the pandemic it dropped a lot which it did for everyone but your drop off might have been more extreme because of these life changes with your son and um partner tell me also just some information about yourself how old are you you have the uh, you have one son do you have, do you have any other children give me some of that background too. i'm i'm mid 50s and i only have that one son and uh i'm divorced um mm-hmm. so therefore i have that this other partner that that was a post-divorce partner and um I don't know what else can I tell you. That's some, yeah. That's some of the background. Um, the what kind of work do you do? Well, I do intellectual work. I do. Um, I I uh, work with software. I make software. Mm-hmm. So it's. Uh, I like that. That's the other thing. I love to be outside and, you know, just um, exerting energy and using my muscles. Uh, but it's hard to do that uh, while you're doing software. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say so it seems not, like not really the opposite end. I mean, very well. yeah, it has the word even like soft. You talk about like exerting and strong, and then you're working with software. It's just uh, yeah. so probably a lot of screens and yeah, you know, things of that sort. So and and sometimes our work, we, ideally, I think it's better to find work that makes us feel good doing it but sometimes we can and we have to make up for it in other ways so being active yeah. in ways that I'm, I'm i hope you're doing and yeah, you might yeah. be doing and and for good or bad um you know i told you that i do like one tenth of what i could have done um i yeah, because of i don't know if it's being smart or what it is but it's uh people I work with, you know, it's it's not suffering, even though I'm doing one-tenth of what I could have done. Everyone is happy with me and everything, so I don't feel that pressure from that side that, oh my God, you know, I'm going to get fired, I better do more of this. And even, I hustle, I am losing money. I'm literally, because of lack of enthusiasm and not doing things, um, I'm not making as much as I could have but mm-hmm. that's being compensated by stock market doing so well mm-hmm. so my maybe in the back of my brain that's you know there's a thing going on that says hey hey you're fine you have enough more than enough way more than enough that you need uh, why bother but that's the and that's the mindset that is um, comforting but comfort has two sides to it it comfort sounds nice and cozy but it also 
tends to mean we're not fulfilling ourselves or feeling we're not going to feel good long term about what we're doing. So even as you said, with right. your work, you know, you're doing one tenth or, you know, you're not really putting in a lot, but it seems like it's enough. But enough means just to not feel any negative things. It doesn't mean it's going to make you feel good or that you're going to feel good about it. And so um, as, as human beings, I discussed this on, on Monday's show a bit too, but, you know, we're still animals in the sense that we're trying to expend less energy a lot of times to survive and just be okay. But our higher order type of feelings and wants require us to actually put more input and effort in. And so we have to always overcome this tendency towards not doing because that's the easier and uh, in some ways our emotional pull is going to be that way to do actually more to feel better because that's what it seems like, you know, as I'm hearing you now talk it, life is good like you're not suffering in some way or in some huge crisis that you're not going to make it, you know, financially or anything like that, but you're feeling unfulfilled in in what's at least the way yeah, I'm hearing you. Yeah, I feel somewhat unfulfilled. Like, for example, I, I have always wanted to learn how to fly an airplane, and I think I have the means to do that, um, but I'm not doing it. Well, I could put some of that because of COVID, you know, but now that's almost over now. I feel less ambitious, and I'm kind of in, in peace with that. But then there's this, I mean, you know how you have that duality or maybe mm -hmm. multiplicity in your mind that there's like so many voices talking, but then there's this other voice that says, hey, you know, you're not doing that. You should have done that. You could, you know, fly, learn how to fly, maybe have your own airplane and do mm -hmm. a lot more, but you're not doing that because it's fun. It's sun, good food and yeah. traveling. I travel every couple of months. And then the other, yeah, the other voice tells you like, who, it's kind of like the who cares, like everything's okay, so why, uh, yeah, why right. bother? And, and that's what you have to ask yourself, you know, uh, I, at times with my clients or in general, ask people to think ahead like 10 years, 20 years, what would no. you regret not doing if you look back on that? You know, you can't know for sure, but what do you think you would regret not doing? And if this, for example... Um, getting your pilot's license or training to learn to fly, if that would be one of them, then you have to consider, okay, it's going to be harder to do it than to not do it because that's how it is with anything. But if I think exactly. it's worth it, I have to try to set myself up to get that done because it's it's going to be worth it because you're right there is this duality the you know it's not exactly two different people but it is like we we have these multiple selves in a way and there's the short-term one and the the more long-term one and the short-term one is always going to want to take the easy way out oh who cares right. it's not a big yeah. deal what happens if you don't do it oh you know there's reasons why and, and and i mean we can also look at are there some anxieties you have about going forward with the, the flying that also can right get yeah i do have some of that i forget yeah. what it's called the they have that word, the fear of better options and mm -hmm. fear of, you know, doing something wrong. Yep. I do some that, some of that analysis paralysis, you know. Yeah. That, you yeah. know, I keep telling myself, like, and it's been proven to me, I've lived long enough to know that doing anything is better than doing things slow or not doing anything. Absolutely. Just moving forward yep. in life, regardless of the outcomes, is better than 
just yeah. sitting and thinking about it. And, and it's much. it's hard to accept it, but recognizing that every day you don't sign up to do the pilot school, that's also a decision. It's not that you're not making a decision, but it feels that way because you're not doing mm-hmm. anything. But not taking action or inaction is, is a decision, and often the worst one that we repeatedly make is to not do something. So you're right. right. You know, you can think, oh, I should think about it more. And and a lot of times those are excuses we make to, to prolong doing something for multiple reasons, just taking the effort. There could be some anxieties about it, uh, doing it the right way. Well, how do I know what's the right school, let's say? Uh, but these are all excuses to prevent taking the action, doing work, because that's generally the easier thing. But we have to be aware of what that's going to set up for us. So, you know, we're at a commercial break, but I do want to continue the discussion about what's going on um, for you to reflect on what's what you think is holding you back from going forward. And we'll explore some options of things you can try out. All right. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you. Sure. Let's go to commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back Before the break. We're with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Caller, are you still there? Yes, hi. Okay, all right. So, um, yeah, as we talked before the break, there was this kind of a, a lackluster feeling you're having. Things are okay, but you're not feeling totally fulfilled. And I did ask you before the break of what comes to your mind of what's holding you back. You know, you said COVID and things are going on, but I'm wondering what's your kind of feeling? And also, were you much more productive before in your own time have you seen a big change because there's some things That's i want to ask you question. about yeah. so so if you if we i'm an engineer so mm-hmm. i do numbers so if you put it like one to ten if ten being most productive mm-hmm. uh before things these covid and staying at home and remote work was happening maybe i was like seven or eight six seven or eight maybe now i'm two or three or four mm-hmm Okay, so that's a pretty big drop. How do you feel overall? Has your mood gone down? Overall, I'm good. I I, I, I kind of fulfill it by traveling. I, I I mean, I didn't travel for a good six six or seven months. I didn't do any, but now I got vaccinated. So every couple of months, you know, since the beginning of a year, I've done three trips Um so I, you know, I go on those trips and I'm mm-hmm. really energized and I'm feeling really good and I meet three people, interact while I'm out, and um, I come back and and then it is like I feel like oh, there's nothing that can stop me. I can go forever, but it kind of fizzles. Like I come to the house, I basically live by myself now. I come to the house and you know. I greet the doors and windows and the empty rooms and after a while it just kind of fizzles down again and you know I wait for the next trip. Well um, yeah I mean there does seem to be even in your uh, joking way of greeting the, the doors and windows like a loneliness that you're experiencing yeah. and yeah. Um, I think traveling is a wonderful thing and people especially right now are so excited to get to do it again after not doing it really for the last year plus um, but there is something of what I usually, even if I feel it sometimes I really like, is when you go on a trip to enjoy your trip, but also to look forward or not mind going back home. But it seems like for you right now, when you're on the trip, you enjoy it, but going back home is a unpleasant thought or feeling or experience, at least. Or maybe you think it's going to be good, but once you get home, you're saying that fizzles out and you're 
you know, your mood goes down. So it's important to look at what is my, you know, it's all part of your life, the traveling too, but the more, the typical day to day, something and some things might be really missing that we don't want to ignore and say, I feel good when I'm on vacations. And that hopefully will last me enough to get through the next, however long till the next vacation, because something's missing there. Even I'm wondering in your relationship, you know, the fact that you, your partner moved out, usually there's, that's usually not without any feelings about it. So what was that like for you, if you want to get into those details, but what happened there? Yeah, there's a whole can of worms there, okay. but uh, here I go into it. Um, she she was basically depressed, and you know, so um, while we were together, I wasn't getting much. It was more, more, you know, like it would bring me down. Um, so while she's away while we haven't completely disconnected um i see her a lot less than you know what you know i have the capacity for or i desire uh but then again when i do see her you know it's you know it's just for short times and you know we'll do our intimacy you know the this physical stuff and then it's not an it's not an ongoing sustainable relationship and she knows that and i know that and we both uh i don't know if it's a lack lack of a better options or uh or what it is it's just kind of lingering around and you know mm-hmm. um yeah that's where that is and you know it's 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 not a it's overall i don't think it's a long-term positive thing we both know that this is not a long-term thing for us but you know we've been together for a good chunk of time how many years uh 10 years plus so we could say 11 years plus and but but part of that was um part of that was uh maybe like four or five of it we lived together and it was it was kind of misleading because, I, I, like I said, I was divorced. So I would, um, when I was divorced, I had my son part time. So I had my son part time. When I had my son, I wasn't with her. And when I didn't have my son, I would spend time with her. So I was I was with her kind of part time also. Hmm. So dad had a um, maybe misleading effect of the fact that oh we were very compatible um because whatever thing that we did the incompatibilities wouldn't show up until you know as soon as it started wanted to show up you know the time was up you know I'd go mm-hmm. with my son and then i'll go back with her so that kind of made it look like it was sustainable yeah. and then when when she moved in with me long term uh then we realized very quickly after after two two years ish approximately realized that no you know it's just in a sustainable way this is not working hmm. um, so it, it seemed like you wanted her to move more than you know you're saying it's like she was bringing you down in a way her yeah yeah she she her her you know like i'm an extrovert and i get energy from people 
she's the exactly the opposite she would she would hide away from people so so interactions with other people you know she would tell, a lot of times she would go with me but then she, she was i mean she wouldn't show it but sometimes she was so nervous inside from meeting people or even not even meeting people just just interacting but even family okay. members that it would like she would sometimes would have to take a pill to go for for hmm. for a party you know okay so what was she but what about when you were home alone just the two of you uh when I was home alone she would like watch excessive many many hours of tv and and uh you know we would spend some time together but she didn't have you know that zest for life the thing that you just go out and you say hey i want to do this and you know travel and she 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 would she would get those things but like a period of time or a short period of time she had this this thing that's like oh let's do this let's travel let's cook you know let's do this and then and then it would go down for like you know maybe for like two months it was down and then for two days she would have zest for life hmm. okay overall it was just she and she knows it herself and she had gone to a number of different you know psychotherapists or you know uh-huh. and and took those you know the the pills the depression pills and that impacted her um her libido Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, even if we look at your relationship, it's like you're taking. There's a bit of a comfortable way out here, where it's not being with someone that really you want to be with or might push you more, or something, but not breaking up with the person you're with. So there does seem to be this, um, you know, again, the sense I'm getting, and and I don't know if it's just because she wasn't the right person, but getting too close, like you didn't want to. The closeness wasn't quite there at the level like it never was there you're saying before because of your son and then once it was possible um it seems like it wasn't working out so yeah maybe you're just not a good match but maybe there's something about getting close that is is bringing up something so again if we look at this theme it seems to show up again you know the it's uh, let it's just comfortable okay i have someone we see each other sometimes and we have intimacy and you know but i don't know if there's the emotional intimacy and closeness there and it's also not ending which it is t- I, I get it 10 11 years i'm not saying a breakup is easy but there is this sense of the comfort zone is showing up again yeah there was the comfort zone and uh i mean we we got uh, it, we got emotionally close as close as anybody can ever get close very very close and and physically very very close to um but that depression showed its head and um i felt like you know i can't um i can't you know that, that i mean and and she we, we felt close enough that we would, you know when you get when you live together or are together for a very long time you really you really feel the other person so she she felt the fact that i wasn't happy and i felt the fact that she wasn't happy Yet we had that emotional connection built over the years, and it kind of still continues. I mean, somebody said like, if you've been with someone more than five years, they're family. Um, 
Yeah. Then there could be family, but you could say, you know, I can't live with you. It's not really fulfilling. Well, I mean, and you can also, I mean, but that doesn't mean you have to, I think that also sounds like an excuse that you have to stay with her or you need to stay in this relationship because now she's family. You're right. There's an emotional bond and attachment that's going to get formed after that, that long. And of course, if we care about someone, we care about how they feel, but it doesn't necessarily mean well, if someone's kind of feeling down, then we need to not be with them. I don't know how down she was, but I'm wondering how do you deal with your own sadness or being sad? Is that something comfortable for you? Something you can tolerate? I bike. Okay. That helps. I I go under the sun, climb mountains, and and those are very healthy. I mean, general uh, habits and coping mechanisms. But I, I'm just wondering if you're there's an avoidance of feelings also that you might um, be dealing with or generally the way you approach feelings is to get away. So if she's sad, uh, again, we don't like it and it depends on how severe and prolonged and all of those things. But I'm feeling from you this sense of, "Ah, I don't like, I don't want to feel sad. And that can also lead to things like avoidance of, of work or things that don't feel good, going towards the comfort and not going into what might not feel good, but might be more meaningful. And, and I, that's generalizing because clearly you've done a lot of work and done things. So I'm not, right. I'm not yeah, trying to I make mean, that. You're, you're correct. I, I, for, with her for a number of years, I don't know how many, two, three, four, I, I felt responsible for her depression. And mm-hmm. I felt like uh, we are partners and, I, uh, and I'm a part of this and I'm trying to fix it. You yeah. know, we'll do this and we'll do this, mm-hmm. this approach. I, I was trying to find a causality that you know that this is this this these breadcrumbs are leading you to being depressed. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to realize that you know maybe there is no causality. Maybe and 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 I'm not. I mean, people like you, you guys go to school for many many years. I'm nobody to try to fix this. And even if I wanted to fix it, if she doesn't want to, there's like. Yeah. Nothing. It, it took me a long time to reach that conclusion. And, and maybe it's not so fixable in the sense that it might not go away. It might be something that's part of her mood. You know, it seems like it's different from you. Um, right. How she's feeling for herself is most important. But, um, you know, and even if it was a therapist with someone and that, that, you know, you can't fix your partner or you shouldn't be actually even focusing on that. The way you even said it, there was this, okay, and it seems like that's how you've dealt with a lot of life, which has a lot of pros. There's a problem, you fix it. But then sometimes there's problems that don't get fixed and we have to see if we can accept them at some level or, or deal with them. And I'm getting that sense that part is hard for you, that, okay, she's just kind of down and she's going to kind of be down. And you could choose not to be with her. That's obviously a choice. But uh, it seems like, well, if she's down, I just don't want to be around it anymore because that's a little bit easier. But I also don't want to not be with her because that doesn't feel good. So, again, I'm getting the feeling of the it's it's easier, but not facing the it, it directly either. Okay, I can live with her and accept that she gets depressed or has this mood that's different than me or going to parties is hard for her um but it's either okay if that's how she is then i accept it or be with someone else but it's like again you're picking half of both so you're kind of with her kind of not rather than i i i I, I like to think of myself in the transition except my transitions take a long time yeah (laughs) so uh we have both kind of accepted the fact that you know we don't make each other happy in long term uh, mm. but 
you know, with COVID and everything, and also with my it's at this age, it's not the, it's not, you know, you just don't snap your finger and the next person shows up and. Well, but that you know. see, and that's itself something, right? Snap my fingers means I don't want to be sad in between. I see. And are you saying that this is that's a price one would have to pay? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's easier said than done. But that's the it's that if I want to be in a relationship, if if you think if you do your you know you've done your due diligence of figuring out it's not the right relationship, working on it, going to if you want, feeling that motivation to go to couples therapy, all of that, and then you decide it's not the right partner, then you have to accept I have to be sad for a while, in order to be with someone that I think will make me happier. It's the yeah, only way. There's no perfect solution. That uh, so can, can I? I mean, you have talked to a lot of people, and is it acceptable to to give yourself a year to say, you know, I, I I'm I, I'm going to be in limbo for one year, and then at the end of that year, is that an acceptable amount of time? It, it, it is, but what do you mean limbo of of, of deciding what? Uh, limbo of. Okay, if I tell her that okay, we're we're through. I'm not gonna see you again. We're not gonna have a relationship. Kind of expect to be sad and oh, not you mean ready the limb the, get li- into another thing I in see. about a year? Uh, the yeah, that limbo afterwards. You know, so we always say like time heals, which it definitely does, but it depends on what we do with that time. So uh-huh. you break your leg if you run on it every day, one year won't heal it, but if you see doctors, get a cast, give it rest, it could get better in I don't know how many months. So mm-hmm. time is important, but it's what you do with the time that can be even more important to determine what happens in between. But you would have to expect, yeah, if you've been with her 10, 11 years, you likely will, it'll be important for you to take some time and to actually avoid the temptation that all people have, but especially in you, we're seeing it show up in a lot of places to be like, well, I'm sad, let me date someone because that's going to make me feel better. So Rebound. I think what's it's good is that you, you do a lot of healthy things to take care of yourself, which is wonderful. But there is this sense I'm getting from you that it's like, if I'm sad, I got to get rid of it. So how do I get rid of it? Oh, I'm sad. You know, if I'm with someone, I'll be happier today if I have a, a date tonight and I'm getting close to some new person. Um, but maybe it's not the right time. And so I would want you to even take a little bit of time in between. And so when you're asking a year, yeah, maybe it could be a year. But to give yourself at least sometimes six months plus before you're in a relationship with someone else and the urge might be, well, I don't feel good. I, I need to not feel this way. So um, one of the health, signs of mental health to me, there's so many signs, but one big one is our frustration tolerance or our ability to tolerate negative feelings when they come up because inevitably that's part of life that okay I'm sad and yeah maybe you could do something exercise do the things you do that are great but you might still be sad and be have to tolerate that I'll have to get through this and not just act on something to change it or I don't feel good when I'm around my partner when she's down but maybe I can tolerate that not I have to fix her you know even that fixing feeling one is there's a sense of responsibility and two it doesn't make you feel good when she's always just okay let's let's get her happy come on we got to get her out of this because this doesn't feel good but if we can actually tolerate that okay she's not feeling good uh, I'll do what I can to support there's only so much I can do but I might have to tolerate her sadness if I want to be with her. You don't have to. Um, but that's a sense I'm getting, and it relates to a lot of the themes of even the work, is that when there is a bad feeling, we're going to go away from that to the comfort. And what you're doing is you're living a life where you're, in a lot of ways, getting by and surviving, but I don't think you're going to feel so fulfilled 
and have the meaning in your life that you would really want or would be even more optimal because of avoiding the pain more than going towards what's even better for you but might be harder in so, the moment. So the, the price of happiness is, is putting in your time and being sad. It, that's a, it, that sounds almost oxymoronic, but I think that's true. And not, and happiness is an interesting word, like lots of psychological terms. We use them in different ways. Sometimes people mean like joy or pleasure in the moment. And what I mean is more like a fulfillment and contentment, happiness, the more longer, slower burn of feeling good about your life, which means, yes, and a lot of times in the moments you won't do what feels good because you're going towards something greater or bigger, which will require so, you so to do that. So in that, you know, quote, you know, air quote, sadness that the mm -hmm. time that I'm putting to be sad, is that in preparation because I'm not ready for another relationship? Or I may pick the wrong person yeah, because I just want to be happy for the moment. Or are those like the fear of making the wrong choices? Is that why well, you have to fear that sadness price? In the sense, yes, in, but it's more that also when you are saying goodbye to someone, it, it there should be some sad feelings there that you need to deal with and express rather than trying to, you know, then the next person just becomes a drug. And you might, you could get lucky and choose the right person, but you also might not be ready to create the right relationship if you haven't grieved the last person. So if you're using them to help heal the pain of the last one or to actually numb the pain of the last one, you're not going to create a good relationship with them. And so the urge is there because the quickest thing that'll make you feel good is probably actually call her back or to be with someone else. Um, but we have to resist that urge because there's some healing and some things to process to then uh, get ready for the relationship, both in our emotional sense and then to, to choose the right person to not just try to, if we're trying to get away from sadness, anyone will do and it'll be short term and, you know, but then you're not dealing with the actual issues that are there. So, um, you know, then looking at the work also, I think this is something to be aware of. How am I avoiding the negative feelings? And when you're around people, maybe it feels too big. There's more accountability. You, you probably get energized also, but the accountability might make it that it's going to feel bad not to yeah. do it when people are watching um, rather than it's just the energy you're getting from them. So there does seem to be a, avoidance is one of the coping that almost everyone does to a degree. That's what all procrastination tends to be is avoidance. Oh. And so it does seem to be in the, that avoidance is a go to for you. You deal with things in a very healthy way, you know, the exercise in other ways. Mm -hmm. But there is a theme of avoidance that runs through all of that that I think is going to be worth evaluating for yourself. Avoidance. So do you have an avoidance pill that people <laughs> Yeah, the avoidance pill is uh, it's a bitter one, I'll tell you that much, because it's going to be tough and you and even looking at you know I'll wrap up now um, but you know it's I can even going into therapy for yourself looking at where has this come from usually in childhood for example how were negative feelings dealt with how did your parents respond to your negative feelings or being sad or how do they talk about being sad a lot of families it's like oh don't be crying it's weak or you're this or why do you yeah, care about see, this right. yeah uh, or anger oh why are you getting angry you can't get angry at me you shouldn't get angry so a lot of times we're we've been taught from a very young age that uh, negative feelings are bad and you shouldn't have these ones that don't feel good um, and that also we haven't been given the the coping mechanisms of how to just sit with that you know it's a strange thing but parents of course you try to cheer your kid up but you also want to show them that it's okay when you're feeling sad we can wait and 
it's going to pass and you're going to be okay. We don't have to quickly get rid of it. Um, and so those are some things to re- reflect on. And I would recommend going to your own therapy. I think it's good for everyone. Really? What, what kind of therapist should I choose? Uh, uh, and you, someone you feel comfortable. Well, no, psychiatrist is more for medication. Of course, some of them do therapy as well. But I would say, yeah, psychologist, a therapist that um, you feel comfortable. Think about, you know, male, female, age, Iranian, not Iranian, what kind of demographics, and then try to meet with someone and then see if you feel comfortable. And then once you do, this is like a long-term type of thing. It's a relationship type of thing, six do, months do a think, year. Um, I may get the acronym wrong. That was that CBT. That like, yeah, there's cognitive behavioral of, therapy. Yeah, that, yeah, is that, that is can that, be is helpful. That a good thing for me. It it can be. I don't think there's one uh, school of therapy that's the right one. There's a lot of things depends on the therapist themselves should practice what makes resonates with them, but also clients can respond differently to different things. And a lot of the th- research on therapy has found that the most important thing above and beyond the specific theory being used is the relationship that's built between the client and the therapist is the most healing and therapeutic factor. So that's why uh, think about what kind of therapist you think you'll feel comfortable with as far as some demographic things and then meet with them and feel how you feel. It's going to be a little uncomfortable to go to therapy, but do you feel comfortable and safe and that you can trust this person and then go forward, you know, at least six months, a year into that. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll look for one. Nice thank talking you. to you. Have a good rest of your day. Wish you the best. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Take man. care. Bye. All right. Let's go to our next commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You know, with the last caller, there was uh, some themes that came up. I wanted to continue uh, the conversation on those themes. Um, you know, this issue of tolerating negative feelings when they come the feelings that don't feel good when I say negative even that's an interesting distinction we make in some ways it makes us have a judgment on them positive feelings negative feelings really when we're saying negative what we mean is that they feel unpleasant and really uh, all feelings we can also break them down into looking at it's making us either want to approach something or go away from something sometimes it's more clear Um, you get to the edge of a cliff and you feel some fear and it's telling you go away from the cliff that's scary that's not safe Um, but other times it's going to be less clear what we're we're feeling or why we're feeling the way we are approaching or getting away from or what's happening so something makes you sad even getting away from that what does that mean but so the feelings that don't feel good those are the ones that we tend to have more issues with now even with uh, happiness or feeling good, we have to be aware of how we manage those feelings. It might sound strange, but sometimes actually when we're happier, we might make worse decisions because our when you're in a down mood, you might see the negative more. But when you're in a really, really good mood, sometimes you're overly optimistic. So you're out of touch with reality in that way. You might think, oh, nothing could go wrong. Everything is fine because you're in that mood. So we also want to be aware of our moods and our positive feelings as well because they can have consequences that can affect uh, our judgment and the decisions that we make but usually when people think of tolerating their feelings we're talking about the negative ones the ones that don't feel good and was very happy to have dr mark solmes on the show last week and as i've mentioned his research and his book the hidden spring has definitely affected the way i'm looking at a lot of uh, of, of things and aspects of um our emotional experience or just human experience in general Um, but if we look at what we go through when we feel something bad it makes sense when uh, 
the way he describes the homeostasis and we're going away from homeostasis when you have that negative feeling it produces this demand for work to get back to that balance point that set point that a homeostatic balance so you're feeling sad you want to get back to feeling calm or okay or you're feeling mad you want to fix whatever is in your way or get rid of whatever is in your way or frustrating you or make the wrong right in some way to get back to that balance which makes sense that that demand is there but at times in order to really function and do things better for our longer term interests we have to be able and willing to withstand tolerate even sometimes create a negative feeling for ourselves a feeling that doesn't feel good in the moment in order to do something better so uh, for ourselves in the long term you need to call your insurance company and you know they're going to give you some issues so that's what avoidance is right i don't i feel bad about calling and if i call i think i'm going to feel worse so i avoid that bad feeling in the moment to not do it and I distract myself I do something else but I pay the price later on the the issue I need to take care of is still there and of course sometimes gets even worse now it's delaying maybe it's going to get late maybe I lose an opportunity whatever it might be and usually it can still be somewhere in the back of your mind as you're ignoring it you don't just feel good you might also feel um, anxious or worried about that thing so what we would say is best for us to do in that moment to say okay, this doesn't feel good, but I'm going to go into the negative feeling. And that's what can feel so counterintuitive because the feeling is telling you go away from, but a lot of things we do that create mental health and overall well-being require us, ask of us to go into the negative feeling. Another really big one for me is when we're um, in relationships and want to bring up an uncomfortable conversation. So this is what a lot of couples deal with. They're having dinner or they're whatever they're doing, spending time together. And, you know, one partner has this feeling of, oh, you know, yesterday what my husband or wife did made me um, sad or upset. And do I bring it up or not? And in that moment, everything is nice. They have this little feeling inside, but the, the feeling between them and the interaction is feeling good and nice. And so the easier thing, what you're generally get going to get pulled towards is don't say anything just keep it to yourself enjoy the dinner enjoy the night let's just you know not make things worse in that way but if we think of what's probably healthier for our relationship we'll recognize that it's probably healthier for me to say something to actually bring it up so i have to go into the negative feeling not away from what it's telling me to go away from so as a as a psychologist and if you've heard me on the show i do talk all over and over again about the importance of our emotions and our feelings and listening to them but by listening to them it doesn't mean we just act based on them that's going to make us very reactive and will lead to lots of negative consequences but take it in as information oh, i'm having this feeling of not bringing up this issue with my husband or my wife that's a feeling and we hear it but I don't necessarily just act on that feeling oh it doesn't I don't like the feeling so let me go away we can think about it and recognize you know what actually as much as I don't think it'll feel good in the moment or I have my anxieties about it I think it's the better thing to do and so I'm going to go forward and here's where um, we recognize that we can have multiple feelings and drives I talked about this Monday night that you 
as a human being, one of the challenges I think we face is that we have different um, feelings that come up about different things at the same time. And how do I determine or pick which thing to do? That can sometimes be very, very challenging. Do I do this thing or that thing? They both feel some way. I feel good about um, avoiding this or I don't want to go towards it, but I also know it's good to talk about certain issues, so I want to go towards that, and so I have to make that decision. So a lot of life involves being aware of the feelings, hearing it, you know, it's like kind of when your child says, oh, I want to go do something, but you know it's not safe. So the kid says, I want to go play outside on the street at 10 p.m. at night, and you're like, I get it, you you want to do that, but because it's not good for you, I'm not going to let you do it. So you have a feeling that says, oh, I don't want to talk about this because it makes me uncomfortable. I, I hear that, but I know it's better for me to have that conversation, so I'll go forward anyway. Uh, so it, it's complicated and very complex, these various aspects of ourselves, the fact that we can feel two different things at the same time because we can think about two different outcomes if I go this way or that way and they both bring up a feeling and at times they're conflicting and that's what makes it hard. Part of you wants to go towards it, part of you wants to go away from it. And I used to say that to clients years ago and it felt right and now understanding more about the brain and these aspects of consciousness that I've discussed on the show recently, it makes sense. There are really these two parts of yourself in a way. It's understandable. They both have value. The comfort in the moment, doing something more challenging that might have longer term benefits, both have some merit. Sometimes you should do the thing that's short term gratification. We always talk about delaying gratification, which overall we bring it up because it's hard to do and it's better for us. But sometimes we want to enjoy the thing in the moment. So we have these different things that we are being pushed and pulled towards. That's one of the challenges we, we face being human. But one of the things we have to be aware of is that in order to make it to any type of a goal or do something meaningful, it'll almost always require you to go into some negative feeling, at least initially. Oftentimes, once you get past, past that negative feeling, things start to feel good even sometimes immediately after you bring up a conversation, your partner responds, well, you feel uh, a weight off your shoulders and you feel much better. Sometimes it takes more time, but the, the thing we have to be aware of is the only way we live a happy life is going into the negative feelings. I think the, the caller said something along those lines. The only way you're going to feel a, a live a fulfilling life that you're content with is if you go into some negative feelings and actually a lot of the times going into those negative feelings, tolerating it, getting through it and ending up somewhere much better than you would if you went the other way. Let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. So uh, last weekend on Saturday, did a, another clubhouse room on uh, the topic of empathy. And so I also wanted to remind the listeners, so I've been doing the book clubs on Mondays at 1 p.m. So I hope you can join those. Uh, I actually put the next few books on my clubhouse um, club description, Psych Talk with Dr. Farid. Uh, because I know people at times, if they want to get involved in the, the book club, they want a chance to read the books. And of course, they need to need the, know the books in advance, but also have some time to read them. But I hope you do join in those discussions Mondays, 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, Los Angeles time. Uh, people had asked for a few years for that. And so we, we've had this opportunity. It's already been nice. Had a couple of those. And with that, had a chance to um, talk with 
you about the books and get your inputs and insights as well. But also been doing some rooms on Saturday mornings with a group called uh, Hamzad. And uh, we'll do another one this Saturday, 10 a.m. Los Angeles time. And this Friday, I'll be doing a clubhouse room with uh, Dr. Elham Sajed Connor on social media addiction. So that's going to be this coming Friday, May 7th at 10 a.m. Um, I hope you'll join us for that discussion. It's going to be kind of like a Q&A and panel, so we'll, we'll share our thoughts, but also want people to ask their questions and share their thoughts as well about social media addiction. And I know it's kind of funny to do social media addiction talk on Clubhouse, where I think some people are already getting addicted and spending too much time on there at times as I'm promoting it. I know there's an irony there. Um, but uh, so we'll be discussing that issue about social media, social media addiction. And as is generally the case, if you've heard me long enough, it's not that I think social media is all bad, but definitely not all good. But most important is to see the impact it's having on your life. How are you using it? How is it using you and interfering in your life in different ways? So uh, on this last Saturday's discussion, we talked about empathy, and I thought it was a, a interesting discussion, as is always the case. I am sharing my thoughts and things that I've already learned or thought about, but also learning from the people, and it makes me rethink things. But, you know, we look at empathy, this ability or tendency to feel what other people are feeling. And of course, when I even say that, we're trying to assume we're trying to make a judgment but let's say you see someone that's sad and you yourself feel sad and there's some different distinctions between sympathy and empathy and i've seen people define them in different ways sometimes people say sympathy is when you feel it too much or sometimes people will say sympathy is when you're just thinking about it you don't get involved um, but to me i use empathy as when you do feel it in some way uh Paul, I think it's Paul Ekman and Daniel Goleman have described three types of, of empathy, the cognitive empathy. So cognitive empathy is just the way you can think about it. So for example, if someone says, okay, my, I'm going through a divorce, you're like, oh, they're probably sad or uh, feeling heartbroken or something. You can think about it. So you can just think, oh yeah, that makes sense that if someone goes through this, this happens. So it's, you're not feeling the feeling yourself. You're more just thinking about the, the situation and what you would understand or think someone would feel in that situation. Then there's the emotional empathy. That's more when you're actually feeling something. Someone says they're going through a divorce, like, ah, oh, that's tough. And you can feel something inside of you in a more than likely lighter degree than what the person's going through, but you feel their pain, so to speak. And then they also add the compassion element of empathy, which is actually when you want to get involved and do something about it. And of course, that can also depend on what we're talking about. Sometimes getting involved might not even be appropriate or possible, but they, they have that distinction as well. So when we're looking at empathy itself, um, usually it's talked about and it's become uh, even more discussed in people's even speeches and social media. I'm seeing people post things. I know I was just talking about social media addiction, um, but, you know, different books and things are being written about it. And I think it's important. So it just seems like this all good thing. So again, as I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I think it's important to look at the nuances. Don't just think, okay, empathy, all empathy, good empathy, more empathy, no matter what, it's good. It's more complicated than that. I think generally the world needs more empathy or it'd be better if more people were 
empathic to the sufferings of others and uh, allowed themselves to actually feel the pain that comes with recognizing the pain of other people. So I think we do want to move towards that. But we want to look at it within ourselves. Um, how am I when it comes to empathy? How easy is it for me to feel other people's feelings? Or do I even let myself? One of the common reactions we have is someone sad, like, oh, it's so stupid to be sad about that. I would never get sad about that. Or why are they mad about that? Being mad is stupid anyway, or it's weak or whatever it is. And generally what's happening there, it's not that we're really assessing the situation, but we're actually starting to feel something and it doesn't feel good. And so we want to get away from that feeling. So we completely dismiss them. And this is one of the more common reasons why we invalidate someone else's feelings, a big you know, psychology therapy type of word when you, you know, someone says they feel something and you tell them they shouldn't feel this way or they're weak for feeling this way or somehow dismissing their feeling, invalidating it as opposed to validating it. One of the biggest reasons why we do that is because we don't want to feel what they're feeling. So someone's sad. I don't want to feel sad. Stop crying. Someone's mad. It's making me feel a little bit off. Oh, come on. You don't need to be mad about that. And also we try to use it to make ourselves feel good. Oh, I would never get sad about this. Um, I would never get mad about this. You know, something like that happened to me and I didn't get sad at all. And that type of a mindset is more um, on the extreme of thinking about yourself. And so while we were having the discussion on Saturday, I discussed this spectrum of looking at self-focused on one end, completely self-focused, which would be selfish and narcissistic on the left, let's say. And then all the way on the right would be other focused. And actually, if you go to too much of that extreme, that's not healthy either, which I'll get into. So people that are too far on this left side in this imaginary spectrum I have in front of me, they're too focused in themselves. They can't see outside their own head in a sense to see other people's feelings or pains or what they're going through. So someone's sad and they, they just can't go there. They don't want to go there because they don't want to feel something. They want to feel superior at times. Oh, I don't feel those feelings. Now they've definitely felt all the feelings they're saying they're not going to feel. Um, but it just serves them in some way they've learned to adapt in that way to focus just on themselves protecting themselves seeing their own feelings so uh, someone who's narcissistic or on this end of the self-focused spectrum um, if you're having an argument they won't see your side so like okay let, let's say even say i can see how you didn't like i did this but can you see how i didn't like what you did it's like no or i just did it because you did your thing i don't know what you're talking about i did nothing wrong it was all your fault it's not my fault at all so people are too much self-focused there isn't a healthy degree of understanding or trying to understand or even wanting at times to understand other people's feelings. There isn't even a curiosity and a care about what other people think. There's a preoccupation with the self. On the other end of the spectrum, going all the way to other focused, almost exclusively other focused, we get to more of a, um, at times it can also be dependent personality, but a personality that is completely devoid of their own experience. So what's interesting, we talk about, uh, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. That's one of the ways that we, an analogy we use for empathy, putting yourself in other people's shoes, which is good. Some people don't do that enough. The problem is people with this completely other focus, the only shoes they're never wearing is their own. They're always in other people's shoes. They're talking to someone and they're thinking, what does she feel? Oh, she's feeling that this and they're totally disconnected from their own feeling. Oh, what is he feeling? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I shouldn't do that because he won't like that or that makes them sad. And they don't even realize 
they're unhappy or they don't like something or they don't want to do something or whatever it might be, they're disconnected from their own feeling. So some people are so other focused that they don't have any connection with their own feeling. So that's why we have to be aware that, yes, empathy is good. Thinking about others is good and healthy. But if it's done in a healthy degree and a healthy amount, then it's good. If we go too extreme, where we become so other focused that we neglect ourselves, that's not going to be good either. So usually each of us has certain tendencies. No one's going to act exactly the same all the time, but you probably will be able to recognize where do I think I fall on this spectrum? And it's a, it's a spectrum and it's also a lot of gray and there isn't exactly that, you know, it, it would make sense to think, okay, exactly in the middle is the healthiest, but I think it's a, it, what does that even mean? It, it's a lot of vague things that we're talking about, but it's something to be mindful of how self-focused and other focused am I? And even what you'll sometimes see is people who get into relationships, you generally need some kind of a balance. So if you have someone very, very self-focused, let's say very narcissistic, and someone who is super empathic, thinks about other feelings and not their own, at least initially, we can see there's some kind of a balance there. They kind of balance on the spectrum or seesaw that one is completely on one side, one completely on the other side. So the way things will quote unquote work, at least initially is, the narcissist feels great. It's all about me. My partner is making it all about me, praising me, looking at how I'm feeling. You know, it's not putting any demands on me about their feelings. And for the person who is more comfortable being in other people's shoes, they also will like, well, it's always about that person, not about me. That's my comfort zone. So initially they can be drawn together, but eventually over time, they're going to build resentments and angers because this is not a sustainable, it's an initial balance, but not a lasting balance. And so things kind of fall apart. What we hopefully will have the ideal, I would say somewhere where both partners are aware and in touch with their own feelings and express them, but also have care and concern for their partner's feelings. They want to know they're curious to know if my partner is hurt I would want to know that's something I try to remind people yes it doesn't feel good if your partner says I'm upset with you you did something I didn't like that's understandable to have that feeling but if you think you love someone wouldn't you want to know if they were in pain let's think if you have a child would you want your child to tell you they're sick of course you don't want them to be sick but if they were sick would you rather they try to hide it from you because that'll make you upset or would you want to know about that pain? So if we love someone, we want to be aware that, yes, you did something I didn't like doesn't feel good no matter what. But if we care about them, we can tolerate that to then be there for them to actually try to make things better. First of all, deal with the feeling then, understand them better. This is something that hurts them to learn for the future. And if you resolve this, knowing that you'll be closer to each other rather than not talking about it will make you more distant. So coming back to this theme of empathy, I think it's important for us all to look at that. And again, there can be this easy way to think, oh, yeah, empathy is good because everyone talks about it so positively, which it is a good thing. But then if I'm someone who only thinks about others, I'm such a good person. This is what can be difficult to understand about some of these concepts that if something sounds good, we think a lot of it is good. Okay, water is good. You drink too much of it. That's not healthy. Exercise is good. You can exercise too much where it's unhealthy. Most of us are far from that. So when people say exercise more, it's good advice and it is something good to think about. But we do have to be aware of the extremes of things almost always are unhealthy. And empathy is one of those things that if we're too extreme in how we are and thinking about other people, that's not good. We don't want to be at either end of the spectrum. We want to find something in between.
And of course, different situations require different things. If you're going through a really hard time, you might be really self-focused. You need to take care of yourself. If your loved one is going through a crisis, you might sacrifice your own feelings and needs to make sure they're okay for that short period of time. There's a, there's a lot of gray area again. It's not always going to be one level is the healthiest amount, but we do want to be aware of some type of balance in ourselves and in our relationships that will lead to healthier outcomes. Let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. So to conclude the show, continuing the discussion on empathy. So I was saying we want to look at it. One of the ways we can think of ourselves is on this spectrum between self-focused and other-focused. And we need some of both in different aspects of life, different situations, circumstances. will ask and require different things from us. Um, I also wanted to talk about another area of our capacity for empathy. I almost said capacity which I guess would be the capacity for empathy, which is going to be limited by a few factors. So the first one is our curiosity and care for others. Do we even want to feel for other people, which can relate to that, that spectrum I was talking about. But even in our capability of how um, well we can you know, manage being empathic, so feeling for other people, one of the significant factors is how close we are and the way we feel about feelings or our own feelings. So if I am out of touch with my own sadness, I can't be there for you in your sadness. Because actually, empathy requires me to feel a bit of your pain if I really want to be there for you. As a result, if I'm out of touch with my own pain, I don't want to get in touch with my own pain. It's going to be very difficult. There's going to be this block. So, you know, even I want, maybe I'll think I want to help you. But if you come and say, oh, I'm really, really having a bad day or things have been going really rough, I'm feeling really sad, that's going to make me feel something. And if I start to block that feeling, I'm going to block how close you and I can get in that moment. So this is actually why some um, people will even say, individuals who have gone through some dark times. Now, we've all gone through some dark times, but even people who have, for example, experienced depression, they actually can be better at empathy because they've gone through their own pain and their darkness. They've seen that dark side. And as a result, they are able to actually understand other people's pain better. So this doesn't mean you need to become depressed to be better at empathy, but we can still take that uh, that concept or what's important there is that being in touch with the pain allows you to be in touch and be there for the pain of other people. You can have that understanding and tolerance of it if you have been through that. Um, a little bit unrelated because it's about leaders, but uh, I think it's Nasir Ghaemi. He wrote a book called A First Rate Madness that I discussed on the show a few years ago now, but I thought it was quite interesting. In that book, he discussed how in moments of crisis, particularly leaders who have some mental illness actually can help more than someone who would not have that mental illness or put another way. They are good leaders, not despite their mental illnesses, but actually because of 
their mental illnesses. And he describes a few different, very prominent leaders throughout history and the specific illnesses they were dealing with. But one of the chapters was related to depression. Uh, I remember two key figures were Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln, who both were very, very depressed throughout their life, which I think also can be interesting to note because um, especially Abraham Lincoln is regarded as one of the most celebrated presidents in U.S. history. And so for people to remember that even if you are depressed or your child is depressed or someone you know is depressed, it doesn't mean their life will be limited or they can't succeed in certain ways. I do think the most important thing is how that person feels. So I'm not saying just let people be depressed. It's okay. Um, But as a reminder that mental illness doesn't have to be this limiting or debilitating thing. It can be and depends on what you're dealing with. But it doesn't mean that um, you're going to have a... life devoid of mental illness and then you can be successful you can still be successful and even as the book argues it might be despite uh, or because of your illness that some aspects might be brought about that make you more successful but in the case of abraham lincoln he was uh, at least the argument was that because of his depression and being in such a dark time and different times in his life uh, being very severely depressed he was more able to see the pains or the experiences of both sides, the North and the South during the Civil War to bring about um, some kind of resolution or resolutions that were needed to be brought about. Of course, there was still a Civil War, but he was able to see both sides better because of his depression. So possibly a leader who was not depressed would not be as good at doing so, of seeing both sides to bring them together. And with Winston Churchill, it was more about the realistic side of seeing the dark side of of um, Adolf Hitler, that he saw him as a threat, where Neville Chamberlain was kind of fooled by him, meeting with him. And he said, oh, he shook my hand with two hands or something like that, which was a, a sign of that we were close and friends. And he thought, oh, no, th- you know, Hitler is not a threat to Europe and, and to the world. We don't have to worry about him. And so... Uh, Nasir Qaimi was arguing that actually it was because of Winston Churchill's experience with with depression, the black dog, as I think he referred to it, that he was able to see or be in touch with the dark that was there more than someone like Chamberlain, who not having those experiences was almost too optimistic and missing the reality of what was going on. But so now we don't have to become great world leaders and you don't have to go to a through a significant dark depression in order to be more empathic but being empathic does ask and require of each of us to be more in touch and comfortable with those negative feelings so this is another area i've talked about it a few times recently of being comfortable with negative feelings as i talked about even with the caller today and and it could be possible what he was going through with his uh, partner something if he's still listening to think about i try to be careful not to talk too much about the past callers when they can't um, respond and give their own input but it is something to be aware of that if we want to be there for our loved ones we have to be comfortable being sad or feeling a negative feeling i have to be okay going there or else I'm going to limit you or block you. You Okay, you're a little bit sad. Oh, that's enough. I don't want to get more sad. Or it's happened a few times you've brought up this issue and I can't handle it anymore. I have to be open and willing to tolerate that, which means I have to be in touch with my own sadness. But because it doesn't feel good, 
our tendency is to try to get away from these feelings. So going back to that homeostatic type of mindset of, of emotions, you don't feel good, you want to resolve it and come back to that. That's, that's understandable. Or you want to get away from it. That response completely can make sense. And even we could say there's a natural tendency towards that. But we have to see what's the long-term costs we might be paying, and there are many, if we avoid those negative feelings. And also we need to look at how do we judge certain feelings. In most families, sadness and anger, for example, are looked at very, very negatively. You should not feel those things. Uh, even maybe explicitly you're told it's weak or it's bad if you cry. People won't like you if you cry. Um, and even implicitly or through their behavior, your parents, oh, they don't, they get annoyed by you or they don't want to be around you. Um, or another reaction that can make children uh, get rid of their feelings is overreaction. So this is kind of, I don't know if it's too much empathy, but it's actually not being able to contain the feelings. So the child is crying to their parent and the parent starts crying or getting uh, so freaked out or we need to do something about it that the child doesn't feel safe expressing those feelings. So you learn that my feelings make mom or dad feel bad or make them really scared or it makes me feel bad because when I show it, they respond so strongly that I feel bad it's safer for me not to show those feelings. And then I don't show those feelings, but unfortunately, I know I still have them. So deep down, I feel bad. And this is a very sad pattern, a very unfortunate, heartbreaking pattern that we see happen in lots of children. And then when they're adults still dealing with that, outlined very well by um, Alice Miller in the book, The Drama of the Gifted Child, where you have these feelings of course because you're human when you express them initially you get some kind of negative response from your parents either the explicit verbal this is stupid weak bad all those things or they overreact or they make you feel bad about it and so you learn okay it's better to hide those feelings let me put them away but then you still experience them so even if people like you but you're hiding those feelings you think oh well they like me but if they only knew what's going on inside of me they wouldn't love me they wouldn't like me even mom and dad oh they they're be, they, you know they say they love me they're hugging and kissing me but i'm hiding these parts from them and if i showed them these parts they wouldn't love me so that means i'm unlovable these parts of myself that are very real that i experience from day to you know even maybe every day but sometimes at least they're there, but I can't share them with them, so they don't love me. And this is why I always encourage parents here and when I'm working with clients in therapy to be very aware of how they respond to their children's feelings. That yes, we know it doesn't feel good to feel bad, so maybe we think we should try to get them away from those feelings, but it's going to come up. It's part of life. And so what's more important is how do you respond when they feel bad? Not that we can or should make it a goal for them to never feel bad. That's not possible. The only thing you're going to do is you might not see the bad feeling because they're hiding it or putting it away, but it doesn't mean it's not there. So if you're a parent, think about this. But even as an individual, think back of how would you feel if you were sad? Could you go to your mom? Could you go to your dad? Either of them, both of them? How do you think they would respond? Sometimes when I ask this question of clients, they might say, oh, I think my mom would do this. My dad would do that. Sometimes they're like, it's as if I'm asking them, they realize like a, a question in a foreign language. Like, it's just like, oh my gosh, like go to my dad when I was sad or go to my mom. Like, I can't even imagine, you know, I would think they would freak out or just something about it feels so uncomfortable. Sometimes they don't know exactly what would happen, but it just feels intolerable. Oh no, I could never do that. 
or getting mad at your parents. Parents a lot of times put this strong emphasis on respect and you should never get mad. And yes, it's not that we accept any kind of behavior and you can say profanities or disrespectful things. We can let them know that's not okay. But we need to have space for our children's anger as well. That's a healthy emotion that needs to be recognized and, and expressed. And actually more important than just telling them don't get angry, that's not possible. It's to teach them and help them manage. And then how do you want to show that anger? Okay, you got mad and you hit your brother or your sister. What do you feel about that? Or what would be a better way to deal with that? You were angry. We understand. What do you want to do about it next time? So how you talk to your kids about anger and then ourselves to reflect on that is really important or the negative feelings. And then so pay attention when you're with loved ones. How do you respond when they tell you something that makes them upset? Are you the kind of person that always will justify why they shouldn't feel that way, which is what we call invalidating? Oh, you don't need to be sad about that. Oh, who cares? Your friends, you'll find other friends. Oh, you broke up. It doesn't matter if it was a bad relationship. You shouldn't be sad. We think we're being so wise, but really all we're doing is getting away from negative feelings because we can't tolerate them. And in that moment, we feel the superior and, you know, holier than thou, which makes us feel all powerful. But really, the only reason you're doing that is coming from a weakness that you can't tolerate the negative feelings, that you can't sit with the discomfort with your loved one to let them know you're here for them, they're not feeling good. Um, you can understand they don't feel good, and I'll stay with you while it's not feeling good. That can be very hard, but that's usually what people need more than anything, more than fixing their problem for them. A lot of times you can't do anything. More than giving them advice, maybe you have good advice, but a lot of times we don't necessarily know and most of the time, we don't know if our advice is even good or right if we, we give it. A lot of times, all we can do is sit with someone, be with someone while they are unhappy or not feeling good. And our capacity of empathy is going to be limited by how in touch and comfortable we are with our own negative feelings and those emotions that don't feel good, because that's the only way we can sit with someone else's negative feelings. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, thank you to the caller. Thank you to all the listeners. And as always, a big thank you to Ghazale here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dawakwi. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.